Let us pray and ask for the Lord's blessing here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for by your word that brings us light and life to us. By your mercy, please grant us understanding of you and our own hearts. Now as we hear the word preached, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and nearest kinsman and redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading today is Mark 13, 24 through 37. As a reminder, from Advent until Pentecost, as part of our liturgical church year, I preach on the gospel reading. It reminds us of the life of Christ and sets our priority for that half of the year to be focused on Christ Jesus, His words, His teachings, His life, and His sacrifice for our sins. Let us now hear our gospel reading, Mark 13, 24 through 37. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with the great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that the summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happen, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to teach, excuse me, to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. <clears throat> People of God, we're to be about our Father's business, even when we must wait. I can remember as a young man living in my parents' house, they would leave having assigned me chores and responsibilities to accomplish. The key in the sloth of my youth was to figure out when my parents would return so that I could be lazy and put off the work until the very last minute and still get all the work assigned, completed before they arrived. By the way, for you younger folks, there were no cell phones to call or to text my parents to get an update. I mean, have you ever done that? Trying to figure out when your parents will be there and you text? Or you call and you just act like you're just trying to see what they're doing. Is everything okay? But in reality, what you're doing 
is figuring out, okay, I've got this much time left. I did not heed the admonition of Proverbs 26, 14 that says this, As the door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man, this is important, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men that can answer sensibly. A lazy person thinks that they are wiser than they really are. They lean upon their skills and charming personality to receive grace from others when they fail. As the people of God, we must truly be about doing what God has told us to do in His Word. During Advent, we are reminded that we serve a God who visits His people. He comes to us. Recently, there's been a lot of attention being given to the meaning of Jesus Christ as King. What areas of our lives does the gospel really impact? We must remember, as one commentator explains, now listen up, the gospel is not a description of how one goes about getting a personal relationship with God. When a new king has conquered, and as a result, ascends to his throne to rule, the news causes his enemies to tremble in fear. It causes those who want to benefit from his rule to bow their knees in submission to his authority. Jesus is not just the substitute for our sin. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, and his ascension was vindication that Jesus was truly the king over everything and everyone in heaven and on earth. In his coming... In Advent, we need to be thinking about His coming in the past, the present, and the future. Advent is both the beginning and the end of the church calendar. Advent reminds us of the longing of the people of the Old Covenant, both Jews and Gentiles, for the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. Advent almost also reminds us of Christ's coming and the resurrection and the final judgment. Advent should also remind us of Christ's coming in the present. God visits His people with the real presence. Do we long for His coming even now? When God visits, His enemies quake in fear, and His people rejoice in submission to Him. We see this even at His table. For those into submission... To Jesus Christ, it is a meal of joy and thanksgiving. And to Jesus' enemies, it is a meal of judgment. Our Old Testament reading today reminded us from Isaiah 64, it says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil to make your name known, to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. At Babel, God came down and brought the judgment to the tower's builders. And yet, 
It was a judgment of grace so that they would not be destroyed in their arrogance to be equal with God. We see this type of arrogance today where men establish their towers of greatness in the media. Others build towers of intellect as identified by ed education. Now, I want to say I'm not against education, but there is a place where it becomes idolatry. If you look around us in our country, every time there's a problem, what do we want to do? We've got to raise a bunch of money, and we simply need to educate people. And who gets to educate them? The ones that the government certifies as being trained up rightly. We also see that others still build their towers in the power over men as tyrants, unaccountable for their empty words and their wicked actions. A great deal of the idolatry in our day is not in temples with little carved out images of wood or precious metals, but are temples to idols constructed by our sinful desires. They are still built with the hands of men. Every time the phrase made with, the, made with hands appears in the scriptures, it has to do with making graven images or idols. Let's hear the words of God at the beginning, because if we're going to understand today's gospel reading, we need to look at what was happening at the beginning of Mark 13. It says, Then as he went out of the temple, that's Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner the stones and what the buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Remember, at Jesus' trial in Mark 14, Jesus is accused. And his accusers say, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And then within three days, I will build another made without hands. So you see, the distinction here is those things that are made with hands become the things that we bow down to as our idols. And instead, what kind of temple is Christ building? He's building a temple made without hands. The temple had become a graven image. Even in the eyes of the disciples, they looked at the temple building in a way that was full of pride for their zeal for God. But the temple had become unclean in the sight of God. Jesus, when he approaches the temple, follows the Levitical instructions for dealing with a house plagued with leprosy by inspecting the temple twice. We see at the beginning of his ministry in John 2 that Jesus goes to the temple. And in the other Gospels, we see that Jesus returns to the temple at the end of his ministry. And remember in that first story in John 2, he cleanses the temple. And then he comes back and inspects it again and finds the very same idolatry going on in the temple. After the second inspection, Jesus pronounces the temple unclean, and in priestly fashion pronounces the judgment on such a house. Leviticus 14.45 tells us this, And he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, 
and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. This, of course, happened in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed the temple. And we know that the Lord came and visited his people and brought that destruction to the temple worship. It's important for us to remember that when God brings judgment, he changes the rulers. When rulers flee from God and follow idols, specifically the idols of unbelievers, part of the judgment is for God to replace the leaders who are both political and religious. Our passage today picks up in Mark 13 in verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. First, this passage begins with, but in those days. What days is he talking about? The days when the temple worship, the temple and worship at the temple would end. Remember, he just spoken about its destruction. The old creation will come to a close when the temple is destroyed. Jesus provides signs for this judgment uh, regarding the temple and to all those in rebellion to receiving the Son. Jesus first warns them not to be deceived. From Christ's death through the book of Acts, we can see most of the predictions fulfilled. The persecution and murder of the Christians was for many years by the hand of the apostate priests and political leaders in Israel. When I consider the text of Scripture, the abomination of desolation, spoken of in Daniel 9 and Matthew 24, is none other than apostate Judaism, and that the man of sin spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2 is the apostate high priest of Israel. Remember, Christ came to the people that were supposed to receive him, and the people that put him to death, and then try to suppress his resurrection and suppress the truth, even to the point of persecution, are the priests and political leaders of Israel. We see in Mark 13, 22, it says this, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you, all these things beforehand. So, what are these false Christs? They are those who say forgiveness of sins and salvation comes from anyone other than Jesus. The great false teaching that we see in the New Testament deals with this, that the Judaizers wanted to go and add all the old covenant ceremonial law to Christ for deliverance of sin. So you have deception going on, persecution going on from the outside the Christian church. And on the inside, there were those that were coming in and saying, yep, I, Jesus is great, but you need to do these old ceremonial things from the old covenant. You need to put those in here together. We need to add to the work of Christ. So there were deceivers from within and from without the church. These deceivers 
when they could not persuade people, brought torture and death to the first century Christians. Jesus says, don't worry. I told you that these things would happen. Jesus makes it clear that he will bring the judgment that will unseat the leaders of the day and establish his rule. People of God, God the Father will and has vindicated Jesus Christ. Back to these leaders in this passage. In creation, God declares that the sun, moon, and stars were to rule. We see this in Genesis 1.16. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. We see throughout the scriptures that when the sun, moon, and stars bow or fall, that they represent leaders. First, we see in Genesis 37 with Joseph's dream of his father, mother, and brothers bowing down. Those are leaders in his life. Remember, Joseph is way down here. He's got all these older brothers, and yet both his parents and his brothers who are leaders over him are bowing down. Jesus here in Mark 13 is almost certainly referencing God's judgment that God pronounced on Babylon from Isaiah 13. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Behold, the day of Yahweh comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more, than fi- more rare than fine gold, a man more than a golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of Yahweh of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So when Jesus is talking about the sun, moon, and stars and the things that are going on there, he certainly, his disciples hearing this, are going to reference back to what they know from Isaiah, where God removes the leaders of Babylon. We also see in Ezekiel 32 that God uses similar language to pronounce judgment on the leaders of Egypt. And Jesus now, in Mark 13, 26, says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. You know, when the disciples heard this, they would have thought of Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, where it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and then to him, was given the dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which will not be destroyed. In this passage, we need to first notice that the Son of Man is going to the Ancient of Days. He's going to the Father. And second, that the Son of Man is given dominion over all peoples, nations, and languages, and it is an everlasting dominion 
and his kingdom cannot be destroyed. You know, this was completed at the ascension of Christ in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Acts 1. Jesus here in Mark 13 and in Matthew 24 is speaking of both his vindication as the Son of Man and the rightful King. Jesus is King over all, and his enemies have been put under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15. The unbelieving leaders of Israel will be removed. We also see that Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away in this generation. In verse 30, Jesus says this, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by, will by no means pass away. The context of these questions and Jesus' answers are in connection with the destruction of the temple and the end of the worship at the temple using the Old Covenant sacrifices. Jesus says one generation, and in one generation, that is 70 A.D., the temple is destroyed. We, the body of Christ, you and I, gathered together, are the new temple. We are the living stones, as 1 Peter 2 says. And we are in our worship, excuse me, when we are in our worship, we are to offer ourselves as holy sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to our God. Romans 12. Are we, God's people, living in submission to King Jesus or not? In the past few weeks, we've studied how God left the tabernacle in 1 Samuel, when the priests of God, that would be the pastors, and leaders lead the people in idolatry and in ways that, that resemble or use spiritual things in a corrupt way, God brings judgment and changes the leaders and chastises his people and even the unbelievers around them. When God brought judgment to Israel, it impacted the God-hating Philistines as well. The Philistines thought that they had achieved the upper hand and had defeated God, but God used the Philistines' victory to chastise his people and bring great judgment on those who persecuted God and his people. You know, the same thing happens here in this, in this story when it comes to its fulfillment. Those who thought that they had achieved the victory over Jesus Christ, God disciplines. By the way, I want to point this out. Uh, farther on in Acts, we see that it says specifically that many of the priests were converted. God didn't simply come in and do away with everybody. God's mercy and peace went out. And God transformed the hearts of many priests. But remember this, a great deal, the high priests of the day, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe God at all. What were they in it for? They were in it for power and influence. To make themselves more wealthy. So they put on a show. They put on their great robes. They, they put on their big phylacteries on their head. It's a little wooden box with God's word in it. Look at me. And, and Jesus says, you make them big. What are you doing? People of God, you can act religious. You can do religious things. 
But that is not following Christ. Submitting yourself to King Jesus is. People of God, don't be deceived. God sees you, even when you're alone and in the dark. Ezekiel 8 tells us this. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, Yahweh doesn't see us. Yahweh has forsaken the land. God does not see. And if we do... <clears throat> And if we do not confess our sin and believe in King Jesus, we will be judged and found guilty as covenant breakers. Children, look up this way and listen. God sees you all the time. Even in the dark, under your covers, when your parents can't, can't see you. Remember when I was telling the story when my parents would leave? And I didn't act right. And I was lazy. And I just tried to... to do whatever I had to to skirt by. That was sin. And I was wrong. We don't do right simply to please our parents. We do it because it pleases and honors God. God sees us. If we don't confess our sins, both children and adults, we will be judged and found guilty as covenant breakers. So, how then should we live? What should we do? Jesus says, take heed, watch, and pray. <clears throat> but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know <clears throat> when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work. And commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowning, crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he, found, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. You know, Jesus gives us these three things to do within the scope. Listen now. Within the scope of being his servants who have been given authority here on earth, with each of us with work to be done with that authority. So that, that's, the, that's the lens that we're looking at this through. So he says, with that, knowing that, he says, take heed. We are to discern and make judgments about what, about what God has given you to rule over. What has God given you to rule over? Yourself, husbands to wives, parents to children, your job, and all that God has given you, including your relationships with other people. Are you living in such a way that in each of these areas people see your good works and give praise to your Heavenly Father? Husbands, when your wife sees your good works, when she sees how you live, does she give praise to God? Parents, do your children, when they see what you do and how you live and the example you set, do they give praise to God? What about the people you work with? 
What about all the relationships? What about how you care for what God has given you? When people see how you take care of it, do they praise God? Or does, it, does your behavior cause others to blaspheme God? Secondly, Jesus says, watch, keep alert, be awake. Too many of us spend our days asleep in the pattern of life where we are slothful in our responsibilities. We are truly sleeping if it, as if God does not visit his people, as if we are not responsible before God in all areas of our lives. You know, devices, you know what I'm talking about, cell phones, tablets, computers, televisions, they keep us in a stupor. Children, the word stupor, that is, you're sleepy, foggy, hazy. They keep us in a stupor of foolishness. Can they be good tools? Absolutely. But let's be honest. Many people in this room, and certainly myself from time to time as well, find myself, and we find ourselves, not using them as a tool to build up us and others, but rather as something simply to keep us in a stupor of foolishness. Finally, Jesus says, pray. You know, many of our sins and poor decisions are because we do not pray. Think on this now. When Jesus is dealing with his disciples in the garden, he says, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus understood this principle. His own disciples were sleeping in the garden. They didn't know what time it was. They were not discerning the words of Jesus. And in their stupor, they fell to the temptations of denial, fear, despair, and unbelief. We must pray without ceasing. That is, we continuously do it. I don't mean every moment of every day, but in a practical sense, you get up in the morning and you pray, and you order yourself under King Jesus. You know, why do we say blessings over our meals? We're pausing and thanking God. Are we praying for others? When issues come up, when challenges happen, when temptations come, do we stop and pray? We need to be praying for wisdom in our time, declaring King Jesus over all things, and then, hear me now, coming to rest in Him. That is, trust King Jesus as He works in your life. Do not fret or fuss. Give yourself to Christ. Trust Christ Jesus. Rejoice and give yourself to the glory of the King. As in all things in the Bible, even though this prophecy was fulfilled at the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, it still applies to us. God still judges nations and chastises or blesses His church through history and providence. We too, because as a result of the Son of Man's exaltation to the right hand of God the Father, can be visited 
and need to be watchful and pray that we are not caught sleeping. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, here today we ask that you help us to take our hands and tear down the idols we've built. Please deliver us from the sloth and sleepy lifestyles that we find ourselves in. By your grace, help us to take heed, watch, and pray so that we can be busy working in all areas of our lives in submission to your Son, King Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.